Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's good to be with you again this fine Friday night in the big town. Um, welcome back to the show. This is episode 248 of Let's Pod This. Um, thanks for being with us for this fun ride so far. Um, this summer we've you know had the opportunity to... Um, visit with some of the speakers from CivicsCon, local heroes um, who have been either citizen activists, professional uh, advocates. In fact, the last two weeks, right, the last two episodes, we had uh, local citizen activist JB talking about Live Free OKC. And then last week, we had Nicole Bauman from CARE Oklahoma. And what I joked is a professional advocate. That is her actual job. And we talked all about what advocacy is and what it's not and what it could be, how to reframe it so it's not just talking to elected officials. And then this week, um, we're going to have a, like a, a third leg to that stool. I don't know how many legs are on this stool. It could be a, a big table. But we're going to talk about how you, as a citizen, can be involved in shaping policy, in how the government functions, not necessarily as a as a elected official, not as an elected official, and not really as a professional advocate, but as your um, as an expert, as a concerned citizen, as someone who is willing to raise their hand and say, "I will serve on uh, as as an appointed member of a board or commission or um, whatever they might call those, right? Uh, citizen councils, I think." Um, and my guest for this conversation is. Uh, my dear friend, Constanzia Niza, um, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's really good to see you. I felt like several years ago, we used to run into each other at the Capitol fairly regularly. And that was when you were working for, let's see, did you work for OICA? I did not. No? I was working at DHS. It was at DHS? Yes. Something with children. Yes. Okay. Working in child welfare. And you volunteered with... The Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy for years and years, right? And continue to. They have have a special place in my heart. That's right. I saw photos of you at the Heroes Ball recently. Well, now you are, um, you left DHS and now you are chief of staff for the Oklahoma Juvenile Authority. Is that what it's called? The Office of Juvenile Affairs. Oh, Office of Juvenile Affairs. All of the letters were there. You had it. (laughs) It really, you know. It's a fun game to just take acronyms from government and guess what they stand for. Agreed. Okay, well, I butchered that one. No, um, is great. there an Oklahoma Juvenile Authority? Did I make that up? If there is one, I don't know. I'm probably thinking, I just read an article about the access <laughs> um, turnpike situation authority. with OTA, which is the Oklahoma Turnpike Authority. Right. Okay, I probably conflated those two. Excuse me, Office of Juvenile Affairs. Um, and uh, you've been there for how long? Two years. I just hit my two-year anniversary, actually. All right. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, That's a big deal. And so, no, your role there, you're a paid employee. This is not an appointed position. Correct. Right. Um, But I know you're also very involved with um, the kind of young professional network, especially here in Oklahoma City, although I know they have a kind of a statewide consortium where people, you know, tag team on events and stuff. Uh, And so you are often... I just kind of see you popping in and out in that in your official capacity, but also as someone who I think generally wants to make the state better and is like an interface with the public and, and your peers to say, 
hey, y'all, let's get involved. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about one of the probably little known or underappreciated ways to be involved, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to kind of let you talk for a minute and tell <laughs> us why this is important and and how you came to even be aware of all of this. Absolutely. So as you said, I'm an employee of the state, right? So I'm one of the people who raised my hand and said, I want to work for the government like as my job forever. <laughs> um, then there are other people who say, oh, I want to get involved and they run for office. That's a huge lift. Uh, and then there are certainly the people who say, I want to get involved and they are being paid by certain groups to push forward certain agendas. There's this missing group of people who have a job that they love and do really well. They just also happen to care about something that's going on in government and they would like to contribute to that, but that's not what they want to spend their whole lives doing. Totally understand that. Um, but I just don't find that most people know that they can do that, that that's even an option. And so one of the ways that you can get involved is to be appointed to a board or commission. Um, Oklahoma has a long history I'm trying to decentralize power. We're uh, not real fond of one human being being the gatekeeper. Right. We're a little skeptical. We are. We are. We have, for example, we elect our labor commissioner in Oklahoma. That is a department head, right? She leads the Department of Labor. Um, in most states, that would just be somebody who applied and got hired in a very normal department head sort of way. But here in Oklahoma, especially at the time in which we were founded, Labor was a big deal, and we didn't want just anybody being able to hire that person. We all wanted a say in it, and so it's an elected position. Yeah, and uh, if I could interject, um, there's a book, and I'll link uh, to this in the show notes, but it's just called like A History of Oklahoma Politics. It's very straightforward, and it's if you have any interest in this, my fellow nerds, it is very good. It is very informative, and literally the first chapter when they are starting to talk about how statehood came about and kind of the weird coalitions and how that that first framers happened. It all happened somewhat suddenly, right? Where there was some kind of um, power struggles and takeover. And when it came to writing the state constitution, you are exactly right. There was there's a, a ethos that said, we want to vest as much power as we can in the hands of the people. And so even for state, many state agencies might have a leader and that person might even be elected but then the agency would also would actually be governed by a board. So not just one person, but like, you know, nine or seven or nine or 15 or something so that it was um, that power was like decentralized even within an agency. And I, and it is very clear that like that was a core, like a core ethos, like a, a, an intent of the framers to say, we don't, and it, we don't want to be taken over by ideologues. We don't, um, and at the time, we don't want to be beholden to corporations. That was the big thing. There was a lot of conversation about how can we ensure that corporations won't take over our state, um, which is just fascinating history. So No, I love it. I know you said, oh, my fellow nerds. I'm like, that's me. I'm a fellow <laughs> nerd. <laughs> uh, because that uh, intention to make sure that there was some effort of balance, you see that in Oklahoma government all over the place, right? We have a, a an elected superintendent of public instruction. You also have an appointed secretary of education. So again, we all raised our hands and picked somebody, and then there was this other person who was directly appointed by the governor. Now, I will say the caveat to the cabinet is while the governor gets to appoint those people, he, 
they still have to go to the Senate and get them to uh, say yes. Right. So there's that sort of asterisk on the concentrated power. So there's also this other step of trying to keep check on that person. Well, and that's similar to what happens at the federal level, right? Absolutely. We hear, you know, the president has to appoint something like 4,000 positions. Like it's an enormous so amount. Many. And obviously it's not like the president themselves sitting down with a bunch of resumes. Oh my God, that sounds so overwhelming. Just being like, this person doesn't have a good cover letter. I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, no, but their team, right, helps with that. Um, and many of those appointments have to go through the U.S. Senate. Um, likewise, here at the state, a lot of them have to go through the Senate. And But there are also some positions that are appointed by the pro tem of the Senate or the Speaker of the House, right? Especially for some statewide boards? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, there's a high volume of positions that have to be appointed. That's true for the feds. That's true for us here in Oklahoma. I, I would just say here, it, the end of July, I went and looked and the governor made 30 appointments in the month of July. That's almost one every single day of the month. Wow. 30 in the month of July. And only two of them needed the Senate to confirm. It was the Cabinet Secretary for Human Services and the new Cabinet Secretary for Workforce. That's it. The other 28 of them, they've been appointed. Those people are now in those jobs doing that work, meeting and, and contributing. Um, but as you said, it's not just the governor who has all these appointments to make. By statute, there's a lot of places where the Speaker of the House or the pro tem also has to appoint people. And so I think OJA's board is a good example of that. So we have a nine-member board. Five of them come from the governor. But then there's another two that come from the Speaker and two that come from the pro tem. If they don't know anyone that is interested in that, then those positions just go vacant. And oh, so, really? right. I mean, for uh, several months, actually, of my two years that I was in OJ, we had a bit of a vacancy and, and had to actively go out and find people who would be interested in doing this. Because as we said at the beginning, these are positions where people who serve on boards and commissions do not do this full time. They're not getting paid to do that uh, they get some reimbursement for travel and that sort of thing. But by and large, they have other um, professional work that they're doing. This is just in addition to all of that. Uh, and so to find people who are interested and willing can sometimes be difficult. And so what I would hope is that the more that people realize that this is available to them, they recognize, oh, I'm interested and I'm willing, and they raise right. their hands. So you the barrier to entry when it comes to boards and commissions is so low. Um, it really can be as simple as emailing the pro tem's office and saying, I would like to do this. So you've got to know that the position exists. You do. and But you can, there's, I mean, the application process is maybe not as formal as people might think. Correct. So if, for example, if you were to go and look at the uh, Oklahoma ABC book, which is presented by the Department of Libraries every year, it is the comprehensive guide to every agency, board, and commission in Oklahoma. Oh. It's 134 pages long, and it's very small print <laughs> because there's so many. Um, but if you were to find something that you were interested in, you really could just you know either email the pro tem or the speaker or your your local official that you may have a really great relationship with, let them know, hey, representative, I'm really interested in that. And your representative would go in and talk to the speaker for you. I will say for the governor appointments, uh, if you go to the governor's website, 
and there's a tab for appointments and it literally says apply here. You click on it, you fill it in, they'll call you and it says like two weeks or something. If do you there's have to something. choose the one or can you? You do. You have to say uh, sort of what you're interested in and maybe what right. your background is, but right. you just click on a, f- I mean, it's two clicks. Right. That's <laughs> so fascinating. <laughs> so I, um, I, I formerly used to serve on the state board of suicide prevention um, my position on the board was a gubernatorial appointment. There were some other positions that were appointed, I think, by the speaker and the pro tem, um, and as well as some others. And and I'm trying to remember even how I found out about it. Um, I served on some other kind of state planning bodies that were more directly related to my work in the HIV community. Um, but I think as listeners might remember, and you might know this too, like I'm a licensed professional counselor. And so always kind of that is always a part of me. I'm always kind of, I don't dabble, but like I'm always involved in that community. Um, and, and I had found out about it through, I think a colleague that was stepping down and they said, you should apply. And so I did. And it, my application took months. Like I, I just started going to meetings, but I couldn't vote or anything, which was fine. We didn't have a lot to vote on, but it, we just kind of had to wait. Right. So I, I think kind of applied through that board. They helped facilitate it to the governor's office and then it just goes on their desk. And this is right towards the end of Governor Fallon's tenure. Um, this might have been 2018. might have been her last year, in fact. And so there was this, like, expectation that, like, well, everything that's been kind of sitting on the back burner is now she's going to get it taken care of before she leaves office. And that's what happened. I Somewhere in there I got a letter and said, congrats, you've been appointed. But I, there was not like I, I didn't sit down with Governor Fallon and interview for it. <laughs> she doesn't know me from Adam. Um but that's how I got on that. And it was an opportunity for me to try to help shape state policy, not laws, but like our policy, right? Um, and how we addressed suicide prevention in our state, which I, was very meaningful. It was a, a wonderful opportunity. It was not paid. I didn't, there's no money there. This was a volunteer thing. Um, but I thought it was cool that that could even happen. Absolutely. And the board that you were on, were there other counselors as well or sort of what was the background of the folks that you were with yeah so on the this and i i think since then that this commission has been or council has been disbanded or sunsetted or something but um so there were um some mental health professionals a couple of us are like licensed counselors um there's a couple of folks that represented tribal entities um, a couple of folks who are people with lived experience, uh, like one was a mother whose son um, died by suicide, um, and there was someone from the State Department of Mental Health, I think someone from the State Department of Health, um, someone from the medical community. So it was, you know, the, the, it was structured to be representative of the constituencies that probably should have a seat at that table, right, to help kind of shape policy. Um there weren't any, there was no elected officials. There wasn't like any big name people kind of thing. It was just honestly like good hearted folks who did this because it was part of their job for a couple of them or for most of us, something we cared about. Um, but it was, you know, we met once a month. It wasn't a, for like three hours, it wasn't a huge amount of time, but I thought it was worthwhile. Absolutely. And that diversity that you were describing is typically sort of baked into whatever the parameters of the board or commission is. Uh, so maybe there is some sort of professional credential that they're looking for. They may be looking for counselors. They may be looking for someone from the medical community just so that they can bring that perspective. But there are 
lots of boards and commissions that really will just say someone with lived experience with the criminal justice system right. or human services, you know, sort of fill in the blank. They want people uh, to be able to speak into that. And outside of that, there's usually some minimal qualifications. You have to live in Oklahoma. That's usually a big sure. one. You have to be eligible to vote, you know, those sort of like basic things. But otherwise, um, it really is diverse. I will say in my experience, um, one of the things that they try to pay special attention to is to have diversity geographically. Yeah. So, you know, the Capitol sits right in the middle of Oklahoma City. And as you said, maybe you just heard from a colleague that there was an opening. That's the way a lot of people hear about it. So if you're not in Oklahoma City meeting all these people, you might be less likely to know. And so there's been a, a much uh, stronger intention to reach out to different places in Oklahoma. The rural communities are going to look different and should be speaking into those conversations. But also, you know, what is sort of the urban experience in Oklahoma City looks different than Lawton or Tulsa. And so um, all of that to say for folks who are from different places, that's that's an asset for sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, Aside from geographic and, and professional diversity, um, I know many of them might strive to be more diverse or representative in terms of race, gender, those kinds of things. Um, what about age? Like, is, are there any? Do you know of any boards or commissions that like younger folks, like teenagers, could serve on? So, there's not any boards that I know of that have a sort of specific guidance to find someone who's younger. But I will say, there's also not a single board I know of that has a minimum age to be appointed. Oh. One would argue that if you have to be eligible to vote, then you have to be 18. So maybe that's like baked into mm-hmm, it. But mm-hmm. otherwise, uh, there's not any other mention of of the age requirement. Right. Um, and actually, on the most recent child welfare task force that the governor appointed, uh, we had a, a dear friend of ours who's right at 24 who was appointed. He had lived experience and was appointed. So it it could be, you know, sort of the gamut when it comes to age. Yeah. I mean, some some things like I was wondering specifically about like OJA, since you are focused on juveniles, right? Like there's, um, I wondered if there were some, some of those have like, it's it's similar to how like many health entities have like a, I feel like patient advocates or a client advisory board and you want people who are uh, recipients or consumers of your program or your services. And sometimes that's kids, right? Like you want to have some input of like, does this make sense? Now, I mean, we all know there's a big difference between asking like a seven-year-old and a 17-year-old, but um, that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask, right? And at least sometimes they surprise you. Kids say the darndest things. Uh, I don't know that I've had a conversation with a kiddo where I wasn't kind of surprised (laughs) by the insight they had. Um, We do have, for example, the statewide advisory group that is a board within OJA. Um, They have listening sessions with our kiddos who are in custody. Uh, And so there is youth voice sort of in that way, but not maybe, you know, at the table. I'm using air quotes, not that anyone can see them. Yeah. it's implied. They yep. get it. Thank you. We have very smart listeners. Yes. They can see through the radio. <laughs> the fact that I said radio like indicates my age in this. Hello, fellow children. Um, well, cool. So do you know how many boards and commissions and stuff there are in the state? So 134 I, pages worth. Right. I, I wish that I had the exact number. That is going to be my new like fun fact. I'm going to I'm going to figure it out and then I will know. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to. I'm, I'm gonna sure do the, the Department of Libraries knows, um, but I, I can't seem to find it off the top of my. Right. That's Google. fascinating. 
Well, and, <laughs> and so I, I will link to the ABC book in the show notes. I had no idea this even existed, and I'm I'm kind of scrolling through oh. it now, and it has all of the statewide elected officials, including like the corporation commission and things people forget about. It has governors, uh, the governor's cabinet, as of whenever this was published at the end of 2022, um, and then and like their bios about all of them. Oh, this mm-hmm. is a tremendous resource. Absolutely. Um, and then it goes into the legislature as well. Um, and then the judicial branch and about all the um, Supreme Court, um, the Court of Criminal Appeals. And then, golly, you know, we could go down the judiciary for a long time. <laughs> There's a lot of folks. The Tenth Circuit. Um, judges of the Workers' Compensation Court of Existing Claims. Okay. We're getting deep in the weeds. <laughs> all the all the DAs finally here on page 55 <laughs> It says agencies, boards, and commissions, um, and that's and it just tells you about all of them, right? It doesn't it doesn't list who the members are, um, which would be tough because that changes changes all the, all the time. time. And this is very clearly a PDF, not a website. No, but yeah, the Arts Council, the Archaeological Survey. I'm just going to name a few that yeah. look fun. Um, the Broadband Office, which has been in the news quite a bit lately. Um, the medical examiner's office, if you go back to the early days of our podcast, we had uh, several episodes about the debacle over there. Uh, the Commission on Children and Youth, um, a, a fascinating story about how that came about. Um, the Department of Commerce, Department of the Conservation Commission. I'm only in the C's. Let me zip down. What else do we have? Hey, look, there's OJA, Office of Juvenile Affairs, mm-hmm. Department of Labor, the Commissioners of the Land Office, something that's also been in the news recently. Um, and it has information about each one. The Lottery Commission. Oh, that would be rad. <laughs> I just bought a Mega Millions ticket on my way here today, hoping oh. I can win the $1.5 billion or whatever crazy amount it is. I thought you were saying, oh, I want to serve on that. You're like, no, oh, yeah. I'd like to win the lottery. Like, well, yes, yes me both. too. I would definitely, <laughs> I don't think you get a discount on tickets. Um, but I do think, I don't know, I find from a mental health perspective and like addiction um, perspective and from a fiscal perspective, I find the lottery fascinating for lots of reasons. Um, when I was getting my MBA, I, that was kind of one of my, like it wasn't like a, a paper, but I, there was some kind of like case study that I went into about do lotteries benefit states the way that we say they're going to. And if you go back for Oklahoma, this is a bit of a sidebar <laughs> clearly. Um, if you go back to mm, the early 2000s, right, when Oklahoma was proposing the lottery, and if you re- pull the news stories from when it was um, – because they had to go before a vote of the people, right? And I think I think Governor Henry was in office. I may be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, if you go back and read news stories in a chronological chronological order that year – the amount of money that the elected officials say the lottery will generate for education. No, it goes up every time they kept sweetening the deal. They're like, um, they're like, it's going to generate a hundred million. It's going to generate 150 million. And then up it's like 300 million and it keeps going up, which is why, I mean, it makes sense. Like, you know, these are all projections and we don't know, but it's like, but it could do a lot. They were speaking it into existence. Yes. And they were trying to get it passed. Right. And it passed overwhelmingly anyway. So it wasn't a big lift. Um, but then, especially in the first few years, it generated less than people thought it was or expected. And I was like, well, that's probably because they expected what you said in November and not what you said in January. 
um, before that, which was a more reasonable amount. So, um, anyway, for many reasons, the importance of managing expectations in politics. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so if you, uh, if someone listening is a, um, is certainly someone who's like a licensed professional or credentialed professional therapists, doctors, nurses. I mean, I just saw a thing of, about the board of examiners for podiatry. Um, there's a lot of things out there that you, there's almost certainly you're, you're governed by some kind of board, right? Like there's the the state board of behavioral health licensure that LPCs fall under. Right. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff. I mean, from the, yeah, the Route 66 Commission. Oh, this is, I'm going to read this this weekend. You have, yeah, you have some some weekend reading. And the people who are serving on those boards and commissions in terms of sort of what are they doing, they're reviewing proposed policy. They're suggesting changes to policy by statute. Uh, our board at OJA is actually the rulemaking body for our agency. Uh, and so the role is critical, right? Because if you have somebody who either doesn't care, is sort of checked out, or is just not there because there's vacancies, um, then that thing that we believe in, in terms of having all of these voices, isn't going to work in terms of speaking to what we should be doing or how we should be changing things. Yeah. Well, and the so, so far my takeaways from this, Constancia, is that there are Literally hundreds yes. of boards and commissions on which people could serve if they knew about them. Correct. And many of those positions go unfilled already. Correct. So you you may not even be having to like beat out somebody else that's <laughs> exactly. highly qualified. We you know we talk we joke about the number of legislators that are elected by default because no one files against them, and so same. <laughs> they, you know, it's there was not a mandate that you win. They just. You won by default. And in some cases, listeners, you could win by default here and serve on some of these commissions. You would learn a lot about the state, likely something that no one else in your circle knows much about. And so you are automatically a subject matter expert. And you have the opportunity to make a big difference in how our state like grows and develops in key ways. Absolutely. Getting involved is sort of the core of that sustainable people power that you yeah. talk about. Like, this is it. That's fascinating. And this is, we should say, this isn't just at the state level. Correct. It's certainly uh, in Oklahoma City, it's very similar. Hundreds. I don't know exactly how many. I think there's, I think there's a little over 500. I don't know if it's so boards many. or 500 positions oh, okay. in the city of Oklahoma City that are appointed. <laughs> um, most of those are appointed by the mayor or a member of the city council. And in fact, um, just this week... Um, the city of Oklahoma City, I, I saw Mayor Holt tweet about this, that they have aggregated all the information into one place. Like it was all available before, like who serves on all of these, but they just put all it in one big list on the website. Um, and so uh, a friend of mine, Merrick Cornette, um, serves on the traffic commission, I think, right? And she was someone who, you know, she's obviously somewhat connected because her father-in-law is former mayor, but like... She's someone who I know cares about transportation in our city of all kinds. Sure. Cars, trucks, things that go, um, buses, bicycles, all this. And uh, and for the city, there's like a master application where you apply. And I think you can pick, you can like select the ones that you want to be considered for. And I filled this out oh, a few years ago. I probably should go back and do it again. 
but I was overwhelmed at the number of possibilities where I was like, I just want like a select all. But, you know, like <laughs> some of these maybe aren't, I just know, like aren't a good fit. But sure. um, be but careful it, what you ask for, though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also it's cool that government at any level, especially here in Oklahoma, is actively soliciting input directly from citizens. Absolutely. All the time. Right. Right. Like, can, so people in their minds, I think they picture voicing their opinions as voting. So it happens in this very regular period and you do it on this day and then that's it. And you sort of go away and do your own thing. And the truth is you could be contributing all the time. Right. right? And I, you know, we've certainly had more activism and advocacy in Oklahoma, I feel like more recently uh, than we have historically, but um, there are other ways to passionately participate that don't look like activism or paid advocacy. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think a lot of people know that they can serve on a nonprofit board with about an issue they care about, right? Um, Let's Fix This is a nonprofit that's governed by a board of directors from people who care about civic engagement and, um, you know, moving the state forward with good policy. And, um, you know, we just added a couple of members to the board this year um, that we had known were actively supporting. They've been volunteers, they've been donating, had kind of been in our orbit already. And so there was a formal kind of application process they went through. Um, and it's similar, right? Then with the government, it's your opportunity to serve on a board kind of like serving on a nonprofit board, but you don't even have to raise money, right? There's, <laughs> That's the best part, There's right? not a gala, like you can, <laughs> um, but you can actually have a big impact on on the the policy that governs our state. And if you don't show up, right, then over time things will evolve. So there are some boards and commissions that used to exist that don't anymore. Mm-hmm. And that has an impact. Now, I'm not saying that one is necessarily right or wrong, but um, for example, DHS is a huge agency, has 6,000 employees in the entire state. They used to be governed by a commission. They aren't any longer, Mm. right? Now they have a governor-appointed director who has to be confirmed by the Senate, but that is their oversight. So no longer do you have this, you know, membership of nine people from across the state who are keeping eyes on them. Certainly, you know, the public is keeping eyes on them and, and voicing opinions when they have them. But that formality has gone away. Um, and similarly, OMES, uh, the Office of Management and Enterprise Services, huge agency yeah. that impacts all kinds of operations in the state, does not have a border commission that's keeping eyes on it. So uh, just I would hope that people recognize that it's such a privilege to have it. And uh, we have to keep engaging with it because what if it doesn't exist right. if no, you're not there? That's that's a really good point. In fact, um I, I work with some folks nationally that are pushing for an increase in an increase in investment in, we'll say, like the civil service, right? Like in this, the infrastructure that helps our government run. And it's stuff like this. Mm-hmm. In fact, Absolutely. there's a uh, there's a professor at Harvard that's in like mathematics, computer science, or something, but he has an interest in. Um, <laughs> this is. This is next level nerd. I love it. So Bring it knows. on. Um, I it's, it's um he has an interest in sortition, and sortition is like the study of or the ability to like sort people into and, and by a certain algorithm. I'm kind of butchering it, but the gist of it, right? And his whole thing is um, citizen assemblies, and so there's a movement. Um, 
or at least some advocates who are pushing for an increased usage of citizen assemblies. And these are b- often bigger than just a board or commission, right? So a, a board or commission might have nine or 15 or maybe 30 people who are like kind of representative of the state or constituency. But there's a few places that are using citizen assemblies that are maybe, you know, 250 people. So you, with a bigger sample size, you have an ability to make it more representative. Okay. Um, but if you just base it on who applies, the applicants are going to self-select, so it's not going to be representative. So you have to, like, take a non-representative um, population, like, and then from that pull out a group that is representative of the broader state. Like, it's a whole – it's just a math problem. I love it. With a little bit of – value judgment in there on how you weight things. <laughs> anyway, he's created like an online tool. Uh, it's called Panelot because you're selecting a panel of people. You can go to panelot.org. It's fascinating if you like math um, and and like playing around with these kinds of things. But I um, have started mentioning this to some of, uh, to, well, to my city council member and a couple of others of like, hey, well, what if each ward had a group of citizens that were like an advisory council to you as a city council member. And their response was like, we've got like a boatload of (laughs) boards and commissions that are, and I was like, okay, that's fair. Right. Um, They were like, please no more. (laughs) And and so when I've talked to folks nationally, this is not necessarily the case everywhere, right? Like not everywhere has um, as many or as as accessible as it Mm -hmm. is here, which is an unexpected and welcome surprise about Oklahoma. That, that we is, are leading right, the country in right. this way. Good job, us. Um, it is, I mean, government it is fascinating at all levels. Like, sure. the Chicago City Council has, like, a couple of dozen city council members. I want to say, like, almost 50 or something. It, like, they have a lot. Um, a lot. I think it's Chicago. Maybe it's L.A. One of those big cities has a lot of city council members. And, you know, in discussions here of, like, should we expand the Oklahoma City Council because it's a spread out city, this comes up of, like, well, how many is too many? Like, that's too many. But if we've got this, you know, if we've got nine, like, where's the balance of enough to be representative without it being ungovernable, I guess? so. No, absolutely. Okay, now we're way off topic. I know, I'm sorry. I was about to say more about city government because I, I also love it. But uh, because each city councilman represents 90,000 people, which is more than your state senator. Right. They have a lot of people that they have to speak for. And we think that's too many for a state senator, but not too many for a city council person. Right. Well, we is a bit of a blanket, <laughs> blanket term there. Um, but it really, I mean, this is, this is a whole different, I mean, uh, the state of New Hampshire, right? Like they're... Mm-hmm. Legislature has their House of Representatives has like 400 members. Um, there's some statistic like everybody like they represent just a couple of thousand people. Like it's because it's not a very populous state. It's not. Right. It's about I don't. I think it's around what Oklahoma is. Um, but they have so many, and you can serve in the legislature and the school board at the same time, and you can be a poll worker. <laughs> you have to when you don't have any people. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's like one out of every 11 New Hampshireites have served like in the legislature. Like it's some crazy number, which makes this like supports a lot of my like preconceived notions about New Hampshire and politics. (laughs) And I think helps explain a little bit why we still view the New Hampshire primary as like an important one, even though the state is by no means representative of America um, or the population of America. 
But when you see this, it's be, it's because the citizens there are disproportionately engaged, and so it it's like a way to tell us more about how I don't know how people what people are thinking about some of these candidates. Anyway, I guess if you want to run for office, you should move to New Hampshire. <laughs> if you just want to serve on our board or commission, you should live right should here, here. Yeah. in Oklahoma. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm sure at this point, Constanzia mm-hmm. listeners are wondering if you yourself serve on any boards or commissions and if, are you even eligible to since you're a state employee as well? That's probably a slippery slope, huh? No, I, uh, as you sort of mentioned earlier on some of the boards and commissions, there are appointments by agency. So mm. an agency representative has to be on certain boards mm-hmm. and commissions in addition to the uh, fabulous folks who raise their hand to be there voluntarily. And so being at the Office of Juvenile Affairs, I do serve on uh, the Domestic Violence Fatality Review Board oh, sure. by nature of representing the agency itself. Yeah. I have a friend that serves on the child death review board. Yes. These are important boards. They are. They're heavy. Yeah. So yeah. if it's something you have an interest in, there's some people who have to be there and then there are other people who volunteer and cert- you know, God bless those people. Yeah. But um, for both of those things, right? Those are heavy topics and and you there's a from what I know, right? Like there's reviewing of these incidents. Correct. But also when you review that many incidents, you learn the details surrounding those incidents, it in turn like informs you about policy too, right? Like, I don't know. Like, for no, absolutely. Well, I would think for like, uh, like the child death review board, the thing I think of most is drownings, right? And like, what are our building codes, municipal codes, state laws around um, children and swimming pools? Like, there's. There's some governance that happens there that you, with a much larger sample size than I'm aware of, like you have more information to say, oh, we we should take this to somebody because like, here's what the data says and we're in it every month. So I think that kind of stuff is, is immensely important. And it has such an immediate tangible outcome. So Domestic Violence Fatality Review Board, they have for example, in the past, one of their policy recommendations was to have a lethality assessment that has to be conducted every time law enforcement responds to domestic violence call. That lethality assessment is nine questions, very quick, you know, make a determination and then move on. And what you find, so that happened uh, six years ago, and what you found in that six years is when you're doing these reviews, whether or not it was done, and Mm. I have yet to see one in which it was done. Oh. Which then further reinforces that this right. is something that needs, I know it needs to happen every time. And this is the outcome that we see when it's not. Right. Um, and so anyway, you can you can see sort of what happens when you uh, make policy and when it's not followed, obviously some bad things can happen. But you can contribute to those sorts of conversations and just know that in the instances where they that is happening sort of as it should, um, there's intervention in someone's life is better. Yeah, that's fascinating. Very interesting. Um, Constantia, we've yes, covered I'm... a lot of ground <laughs> on this. Is there anything and, we and haven't a, talked a about yet? a few side quests along the way, I feel like. <laughs> yes. Well, the sortition dialogue was <laughs> um, quite something. Well, is there anything we haven't covered about this that you think is important for listeners to know? So I, I would say this, that there are going to be uh, appointments in the state that are very high profile. And I- Like the State Board of Education. Right, and so I I would just want people to sort of know that there are 
maybe less high profile, less sexy opportunities. And those are vast, right? Mm -hmm. So don't think that there's these two that are always in the news or that it has to be a cabinet secretary level position, Mm -hmm. um, that there are all of these other options because I think we sometimes just see things uh, coming through our feeds and, and think, well, that's it. Um, there's so much more. And so if you have a desire to serve, uh, there's an opportunity for you. Yeah. And, and I will say like partisanship, um, doesn't play a part in most of these, right? Like it's probably not even allowed to be. Yeah. It's not a question. Um, you don't have to necessarily know somebody to have an insider access. Um, and what's interesting too, like I know in the Senate, when they confirm these, um, usually it's the, the, you're, your hometown senator is who presents it, right? So if you live in, um, you know, Senator Julia Kurtz district like me, like she would present me. But if you were in Norman or Godibo or wherever, like your senator kind of by custom is the one that presents you, even though like you're, you're quote, like appointed by the pro tem -tem or the governor or whomever, but they, um, you get presented by the person that's closest to you. And you don't have to, you don't have to even know them. So like apply, right? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, again, like I didn't know Governor Fallon, right? I applied and, and got appointed by her. She and I disagree on a number of policy issues. Um, but we agreed about the importance of, of suicide prevention. So right. um, those things are, that's, I don't know, that's part about living in society, right? That is like a little affirming sometimes would be like, we disagree on lots of stuff. On this, we can agree. And so we're going to work together on this. Correct. And I'm just not going to talk to you about the other thing <laughs> for right now. That's but, right. Not today. But right. tomorrow I'll call you. <laughs> well, it's a great way to build a relationship, right? The relationships are, uh, I think, probably the biggest benefit, right? Getting to actually see and know the other people. Because all of these that I'm aware of are meeting in a place somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So you're seeing other humans and talking through usually some some pretty serious topics. Yeah. Well, and it, that matter. And it changes things, right? Like you become a decision maker for the public in some ways, right? Like you're yeah. not a you're not the chief executive, you can't issue executive orders. You can't hire and fire people. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but you can provide guidance that's important. Exactly. And um, you know, on the occasion something rises up and you and even if you're calling your elected official, your city council person, your state rep, whatever. But to say, hey, I'm calling about this and not only do I care about it, but like I serve on this board or commission. So I'm not, you know, I am an average Joe, but not just any average Joe. Like I'm an average Joe on a board. And so that gives some credibility. You have access to information. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, So everyone now is going to go and sign up for a board or commission. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so go That's gonna happen. go into the show notes. I'll make a <laughs> blog post about this too because I think this is really interesting. But um, go through the ABC book um, on uh, of Oklahoma City. I'll make a list of that as well. I'm sure Tulsa has something similar. And I know most of our listeners live in one of those. But if you don't, uh, I'm not going to Google every town in America. <sighs> so just go to your city's website um, and see or ask your city council member. You know, Send them an email and say, Hey, I like to be more involved. Are there any boards or commissions you need somebody? And what are they? And I'll let you know if I'm interested, right? Like mm-hmm. um, if it's like, you know, wastewater or something, like maybe that's not for me, but for somebody else, maybe it totally is. Absolutely. I don't know your life. <laughs> All right, great. Um, 
Constanzia, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for letting me come and, and nerd out with you. Oh, anytime. Usually no one cares about this sort of thing. So to talk to you and other people who care makes my heart happy. Great. Well, um, we'll have to have you come back and do a recap of your presentation for CivicsCon, which was about um, it was really about being involved, right? It was about... Voter engagement, specifically uh, for younger folks, so under 35. Yeah. There's been a ton of research. Yes. So... It's it's got to be better. If um, I have a, a colleague that said America will be in a much better position if we can just if the kids can grow up faster, like if they, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I know what you're saying. You just mean if they would vote at a level proportionate to their percentage of society. Anywho, there's been a lot of math talk in this episode. Um, we're very grateful for Constanzia being here. Listeners, we're very grateful for you being here as well. Um, as we said several times, please. Find ways to get involved. As we say every episode, decisions are made by those who show up. And today, you learned about a new way you can show up. All right. We'll be back next week with um, some more news and excitement about uh, Oklahoma politics and government. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Have a good week. <laughs>